Matthew chapter 28. Great commission. So, Jesus has died on the cross. Up to this point, this is what he's getting ready to do. He's already died on the cross. He's getting ready to ascend to heaven. Okay? The resurrected Jesus for the past 40 days. He's standing on the mountainside, and he's about to ascend into heaven. Now, I want you to understand this. If you were there, and you saw all this happening... He's getting ready to ascend into heaven. He could say anything he wanted to say. Think about it. King of kings, Lord of lords. He could have said, he could have done anything he wanted to do and said anything he wanted to say. But let's read verse 16 through 17. It says this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Now this is completely like, Let's go, let's have a little pastor moment here, okay? Jesus is standing there. Like, literally right there. The resurrected Jesus, he died on the cross, he has risen again. He's been revealing himself now for 40 days. The resurrected Christ, and they're looking at him, okay? Some of them worship, but some still doubt it. Now, look. I'm not trying to sound rude or nothing, but how thick-headed you got to be, and stubborn do you have to be, to doubt something that you've seen over and over and over? Some worshipped, some doubted. Anytime God is on the move, anytime God is at work, some are going to worship and some are going to doubt. That's just what it is, church. I want you to understand. We might have, say, say you got a hundred people in the room. Not all a hundred people are gonna believe. I can guarantee there's doubters in the house this morning. I can guarantee that. We come to church on Sunday, we believe in worship, we believe in the power of prayer, we believe, we, we say God can do this, God can do that, but we don't actually believe we're just putting a front on and we're playing the part. But we've seen over and over and over. Look, some of you got no excuse to doubt God. But you do. You still doubt Him. You got no excuse. He's done so many things over and over and over. But we live in a world today where that was a coincidence. Oh, I got lucky. Oh, I don't know why that happened or how that happened or that shouldn't have happened. That should have happened. We live in a world where, oh, it just, it just happened just because. What happened to it happened because God had his hand on your life. What happened to, oh, it's not coincidence, it's God. But we fall into that coincidence category because we take everything from God for granted. But can you imagine standing there as one of the disciples and some worshipped and some doubted? There are always going to be naysayers. Look, I've said this before, I'll say it again. When I came to start this church here in Oxford, for nothing, I had people in this community tell me it would never work. I had people not very far from this building that said that church will never amount to anything. There's never been a full house there, this, that, and the other. I think you're just wasting your time. Naysayers. 
Because how many know naysayers don't believe because they're only focused on what they see and they're not looking by faith to know, you know what, God can do this because when God's in it, there's no limit of what he can do. People specifically to my face said, I just don't know how this is going to work. I don't see this happening. And sure enough, I could easily become a naysayer when I opened up the first Sunday and one person showed up. Okay? And then a little while longer, 15, 20, you know, this, that, and the other. But if I would have just believed the naysayers, and if I would have just believed those that doubted, where would we be today? Look, we can play that game of, well, you know what? If God's going to do it, and if Pastor John would have left, he just would have sent somebody else. We can't play those games, church. We can't. It's not something we should do, and there's too many people that say, well, if I don't do it, I don't really believe this can happen, so if I don't do it, maybe somebody else will do it. And we play that game. Why? Because we doubt sometimes. And this is what they're doing here, is they're doubting. If you're a Jesus follower, don't be a doubter. Bottom line, if you leave here with anything today, leave here with that. If you're a Jesus follower, don't be a doubter. I got a light not using the microphone. I got both my hands. I'm talking about that. So he's standing on the mountain and he's there, and yet some are doubting. But it's obvious that God is at work. I mean, sometimes it's so obvious God is at work, but we still question what he's doing or if he's at work. Like some of you this morning, like you probably probably faced some stuff in your life where God working slapped you right in the forehead. And you still said, I wonder if God, if God is working. I think we've all been there before where we can see everything going on around us, but yet we're still playing dumb like, okay, God, are you doing anything? But we start to doubt. Why? Because we focus on our surroundings. Our insecurities, our failures, whatever the case may be, and we doubt the hand of God and the move of God in our lives. Let's read verse 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them. Everybody say teaching. Teaching. Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Say teaching. Say them. them. Okay? I want you to pay attention to that word. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Think about this. What is a disciple? A disciple, ready, is somebody who has met, who knows, and is following Jesus. Well, we can try to complicate it all day long with all these different things, but it's pretty simple. Here's what we do as a church. We help people to know, to meet, and to follow Jesus. Which is another way of saying our goal is to make Disciples. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So if you have a relationship with the Lord, and we're going to go by what this scripture says, we're all called in one form or another to be a teacher 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, there is no reason for anybody to be sitting at a desk still if you've been saved for a long time. There's no reason why some of you just should be sitting and only hearing. You should become a teacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ and not just be sitting there taking it in, but going out and giving it all away. But we got too many people that come to church like it's a schoolhouse. They come to church and just like kids, I mean, when you were a kid, you probably didn't like to do homework. You probably didn't like to do the projects. You probably didn't like to do what the teacher told you to do. And too many people nowadays are coming to church like they're sitting in a schoolhouse and they're sitting there at the desk. But when they leave, they don't apply anything they've learned. They don't want to do the homework. They don't want to study. They don't want to spend time learning. And they're not becoming disciples. They're staying new babes in Christ, which is not called what you're to remain. It's called to become a disciple. But you can't become a disciple staying a new babe in Christ. There's a place in Scripture, I know it's there. Somebody names it off the top of their head, guilty me for not remembering the reference of where it's found. But I know there's a place in Scripture that talks about where it basically says in a paraphrase, you ought to be teaching others by now. Hebrews. You ought to be teaching others by now. But instead it talks about basically how you've got to go back and still learn the basics again. Look, if you've been saved now for five years and you ain't teaching anybody, you, you need to start teaching people. You need to start getting into your words so you can go out and share your faith with other people. Go ye therefore make disciples of all nations, <clears throat> baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Again, let me remind you that Jesus has done his ministry. Three years of ministry. He caused the blind to see, the deaf to hear, and the lame to walk. Now, I don't know about you, but if I saw, and I was standing there in person, and I was one of the disciples, and I saw Jesus say, hey, you need to go and make disciples. When they saw Jesus, some worshipped, some doubted, but... Understand this, they evidently didn't believe what Jesus said when he said, I'm going to die, and then three days later rise from the dead. Some of them must have doubted that too, if they're going to doubt him being there after 40 days. They doubted him. Look, you will never hit the place God wants you to be spiritually if all you do is doubt where you are right now. In the season that you're in. We can't be doubters. He fed thousands of people with just a little bit of food. He's done all kinds of miracles. He has taught. He has spent time with his disciples. He has died on the cross. Three days later, rose again. The resurrected Christ, for 40 days, he made himself known to his followers. Hundreds of people have seen him. Think about this. Hundreds of people have seen him. This was recorded in the scriptures. He's standing on the mountainside. He's about to ascend into heaven. This is the last days of his life on the earth. That's it. At this moment, this was a big deal. Huge deal. This was the conclusion of his time on earth. He could say anything he wanted to say or done anything he wanted to do. 
But what, what does he do? What does he give? He gives the last command before he ascends. Read verse 19 through 20 again. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. So what I want you to look at is, what is the subject of that command? What is the most important word of this command? A lot of people would say, go. Because we hear this preached as, go. So that's a big word there. Jesus told us to go. But what I want you to understand is the most important word in this scripture is them. This is the most important. Yeah. Is them. If you're a Jesus follower, them would be anyone who is not currently in the category of us. Right? Yeah. Amen. If you're a Jesus follower, in this context of the scripture, you would be in the category of us, not them. But how I many know we used to be one of them? We can't forget we came from one of them. We're really no better than one of them. We just accepted what has forgiven us and has redeemed us and has restored us to be able to have a relationship with him. But we came from them. All of us used to be one of them. Then we put our faith in Jesus and became part of us through him. Everybody tracking with me? Yeah. You got this? Us, them, days. We got it? We're good? <clears throat> wherever you go and wherever you are, them will always be there. Them will always be there. I know it sounds like I don't know proper English, but I'm going somewhere with this. <laughs> now this was fascinating because church people very rarely think about them. You look at the statistics of church people, you'd be very scared to see how many people in the church don't even consider them. Because a lot of church people are usually too selfish and they only think about us. Yet the last thing our king tells us before he ascends into heaven is for all of us to go after them. To teach them. And by the glory of God and through the power of the Holy Spirit, them will become one of us. So what's the mission? That's the mission. If you're in us, go after them. <laughs> I know it sounds silly, it sounds really simple, but if it's so simple, why don't we grab a hold of that and go after them? If you have this idea that church is for people, and only for church people, and those that got it all together, that's not biblical. It's not. Look, I guarantee more than ten of us in this room right now got junk in our lives. I guarantee not all of us have always been the best example of a follower of Christ. Look, I've been a pastor for almost, for seven, eight years now. I don't know exactly what it is. Started when I was 21, 28 now. You do the math. I, can't, I ain't got time for that. But anyway, even in my years of being a pastor, I haven't always been the best example. And you're all looking at me like I'm a really hip sinner now. <laughs> 
<laughs> Let's rewind, I guess. <laughs> no, but seriously. Look, why? Because it doesn't matter what level you're on or where you're at or what you're doing. We've all fallen short. You might say, well, I've never done anything serious. Look, I'm not saying I've ever done anything super serious. But why categorize things? Look, for some of us, we've laughed at stuff we shouldn't have laughed at in front of unbelievers. Some of us said some things we shouldn't have said in front of unbelievers. Some of us have done some things that we shouldn't have done in front of unbelievers. And I've, I've never always been a perfect example. But you know what? I'm not going to allow my failures to define where I'm going Amen. in Christ. Hallelujah. Maybe you feel like this morning you haven't been the best example in sharing your faith. And maybe you feel like you haven't been the best example in witnessing. Well, it can all start over and it can start fresh today. And you can be all you can be as a disciple for Jesus Christ in the world we live in right now. Amen. Forget about where you've been. Forget about what you've done. Forget about your mess-ups, your screw-ups, your mistakes, whatever term you want to use. And leave this place saying, you know what? I want to go and make disciples. Some of you probably said to yourself, well, I tried that. And then I felt like a hypocrite because I screwed up. Join the club. I preached before and I'll say it again. We're all imperfect people serving a perfect God. Hallelujah. That's what we are. And I'd never stand up behind this pulpit and say, Pastor John's perfect. And I got it all together. Because I never will. And I'll never say that. And for most of you who have been here, the five and a half, almost six years I've been here, I'm pretty transparent. All right? Sometimes more than I should be. But you know what? I'd rather be an honest pastor, and I'd rather admit that, hey, I got stuff myself, than to be the type that thinks that he's got it all together and treat everybody else like they're worse off. I am a willing vessel to stand up here and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it doesn't mean I'm perfect, and it doesn't mean I always do things right. But you know what? That's where the grace of God comes in. That's where His mercies are new every morning. That's where, even if I fail today, and I've repented of that, and I've said, Lord, I'm sorry, tomorrow morning, when I get up, I can say, you know what, I want to be the best disciple I can be for Jesus Christ. Doing what God has called you to do. The church is not a building that you come and sit at. It's a movement that you choose to be a part of. Let me say that again. The church is not a building that you come and sit at. It's a movement that you choose to be a part of. You choose to be a part of it to help people to meet Jesus, to know Jesus, and to follow Jesus. At the end of the day, some of you might not agree with me, church isn't about you. right? Church is about them. And church is a great place for you to come to get equipped to go out and reach them. Amen. When you think about missions and missionary work, look, missions is across the world, but it's also across the street. Yes. Look, if everybody left the state of Maine to go out on the mission field, who would be here? I'm thankful that I was called to Maine. Can somebody say amen? amen. <laughs> Not called to Maine, called to stay in Maine. I love Maine. <laughs> Look, if God told me to go to Africa, I'd have to go, but I'd probably fight awful hard every step of the way. He called me to go to Haiti or wherever these other, all these other places. I'd have to go. 
But let me tell you what, I'd be praying all day long, like, oh, I don't think I heard him. Let me pray again. Oh, I don't know if I, if I heard him correctly. Let me pray again. Right? I'm thankful that God has had people stay right here in Maine. Yeah. You know why? Because I believe that Maine is hurting just as bad as any other place that, and that needs Jesus. So if you have a desire and you say, man, I want to be a missionary... Don't necessarily ask God, okay, what country do you want me to go to? Maybe ask him, what town do you want me to go to? There you go. What neighborhood do you want me to walk into? Whose phone number do you want me to call? You want to be a missionary, don't just focus on other countries. And I'm, that's great. I'm not saying that's wrong. That's wonderful. We have missionaries that have a heart for all these different countries. And God's called people all over the world. But your missions place, the place that you need to serve, might be right in your own neighborhood. Come on. Right. It's not just across the world. It's also across the street. It's both because God has called you and me as Jesus followers. Those of us who are in the us category, he has called us to reach who? Them. Yeah. There's no plan B, church. Right? Some of you don't like plan A. But there's no plan B. There's no other option. You have the option to do what God has called you to do, or you have the option to sit down and do nothing. Let me tell you this, as long as you sit, you will not be blessed. And as long as you sit, souls are hanging in the balance. Yes. People are on their way to hell right now as we speak. And what are we doing about it? It's quiet? Great. Because it's not easy to chew on. When you realize what God has called you to do, it's not easy. But aren't you thankful that we serve a God that sent His Son and Jesus did everything He did for us when it wasn't easy? You want to tell me that witnessing isn't easy, but yet you say, oh, He's Jesus. We're not Jesus. He was Jesus. He could go through all that. He put on human form. He felt just like we feel. He cried just like we cry. He hurt just like we hurt. What He went through was the worst thing you could ever imagine. But we say we can't witness for Him. But Scripture also says if we're ashamed of Him, He'll in return be ashamed of us. Yes. If you're a follower of Jesus, you carry the hope of the world. You carry the hope of the world. And God wants you and his plan to change the world one life at a time. One life at a time. Anybody seen that? I've stated this movie before, but it always brings it up. Is that, I think it was called Hacksaw Ridge. Anybody watch that movie, Hacksaw Ridge? The most powerful place in that movie was when he kept rescuing one person at a time. He kept saying, just one more. Just one more. Just one more. And he was in, that, video, that movie, I mean, that was intense battleground that he was in. Intense. And he kept saying, give me one more. This is a dude that wouldn't even carry a gun. Now, I, I'm sorry, but I'm just going to tell you this. To me, that's pretty brain dead. You're going to go off to war. You ain't going to carry a gun. Now, I'm no genius. A rocket science, scientist, but look. I'd want to carry a gun to defend myself if I was going off to war. But, but I want you to understand something. His conviction was so strong. He had a conviction not to carry a gun. And let me tell you what, in this movie, they treated him horrible. 
because of it. But you know what? He stood his ground. And the one without the gun, the one with the most conviction, ended up being the one who rescued the most people. And you know what he kept saying? He kept saying that. Give me one more. How do you know we're in a battlefield? We're in a battlefield. The enemy's trying to do all he can to steal, kill, and destroy. We're in a battlefield. And you know what? If you go out tomorrow morning and you reach a soul for the kingdom of God, your attitude needs to be just like that guy in the movie. Lord, give me one more. Because some of us are looking at this big picture of, man, you look at the scripture of 3,000 were added to their number daily. How could I reach 3,000 people? One soul at a time. Some of us got this big thing where, oh, I got my goal is to reach 100 people in 2022 for the cause of Christ. And I'm not saying goals are wrong. But your motto needs to be one soul at a time. One soul at a time. And when you get that one, ask God for another. And then another. You could be a person that reaches 3,000 people one soul at a time. You never know. You carry the hope of the world. If you're a Jesus follower, you've got some saving to do. You've got some saving to do. God's the one who truly saves, but he uses people. you got some saving to do. If you're like that, that's kind of heavy, Pastor. It's kind of heavy. You're putting a lot on me this morning. That, that's kind of heavy. Yep, it is. It is heavy. But here's the beautiful thing. The Bible says you and I are in the saving business. But I want you to understand this. We're not called to be salesmen. What do I mean by that? We're not called to be salesmen. We're called to be witnesses. There is a difference. You know what witnesses do? They just talk about what they've seen and what they've heard. You and I are called to be missionaries. Each and every one of you. There's so many people looking for this next big thing. Well, Pastor John, what's my calling? I'm really praying to the Lord to ask him to figure out my calling. Your calling is clearly right here in Scripture. Do I know what you're going to do in life or a job or a ministry or this, that, that? No. But you know what I'm more concerned about? Is are you fulfilling the Great Commission? Because that's the most important calling that any person could have on this earth. Amen. To be a missionary. Who in your life do you know that doesn't know Jesus? Think about this. Who do you know right now that doesn't know Jesus? Could it be that God in His mercy and in His grace and in His truth, that He's put you in their life to be a witness? And to give them an opportunity to respond to His love, to His mercy and His grace? Look, some of you know people personally really up close. And you go to bed at night praying, God, would you do something or send somebody their way when you're around them all the time? We're around them all the time, but we want God to send somebody else. When in all reality, God wants to use you. You never know what God might do through a simple invitation. Now here's the power of planting seeds. You can count how many seeds are in an apple. Okay? But only God knows how many apples are in a seed. That's right. Let me say that again. You can count how many seeds are in an apple. 
But only God knows how many apples are in a seed. It could be that you think you've planted one, but you've planted a whole field of them. Think about it. Pastor John, I've only planted one seed. Yeah, but you don't know what the harvest is going to look like because you were willing to plant the one seed. You don't know. Our job is just to plant, not to keep record of how many things are going to come out of it. It could be that you think you've just planted one thing, but you've planted an orchard and you don't even know it. You make an invitation, but have no idea what God will do with that. But can I make it real simple for you? You don't necessarily have to know what God's going to do with that. You know what your job is? To be faithful. Now, I'm not going to ask this question to make anybody feel guilty or to condemn anyone or anything, but I want you to take a serious thought. How many people have you been around this past week that you could have had an opportunity to share your faith with and you didn't? I think we could all say we've been around some people that we probably could have said something about the Lord to, and we didn't. But how many can say in return, I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be comfortable. I don't want to be just casually, you know, talking to people all the time. This, that, and the other. It's good to have casual conversations, but it's good to take the opportunity when the door is open. You might say, "Well, I've had people witness to me when I weren't, and when I wasn't saved, and and I didn't like the way they did it, and and I don't want to be like that." Don't be like that. Duh. <laughs> Because yeah. I'm going to be flat out honest with you. I've seen some people in the church that I wish weren't out witnessing. Sorry. I wish they weren't because they're only doing more hard than they are good. Because some people just don't know what they're doing and they don't know how to do it the way God wants us to. Look, I've seen people try to share the faith in, in, an, in the most unchrist like way, it ain't even funny. There's people out there that are making us look bad. But don't let that spoil you from going out and doing what God has called you to do. It's like when we used to watch, uh, when, I, when we were watching that movie, uh, I can't remember what it was called, the abortion movie, what was it? Unplanned. Anybody here ever seen Unplanned? Yeah. And when you watch that movie, Okay, I'll just use this as a scenario, just in my mind. There's two different types of church people outside of the gate when people are pulling into that abortion clinic. And it makes me sick to my stomach to know that there's truly one of those groups out there in our world right now. Because let me tell you this the way you share Jesus is important. The way you put it out there is important. You know, in the movie, the ones that, the, the, the church group that actually was getting a hold of the girl in the movie, the one that worked there, was the ones that were actually sharing love with her. But there were people on the other side of the fence in the movie that were Christians, that were calling her every name in the book, condemning her. 
for what she has done or what she's getting ready to do, the language that was coming out of their mouths. Let me tell you this, if you're going to go out with this to people, check your language before you do. Because there's just some stuff that shouldn't come out of our mouths, especially in the same sentence of trying to tell somebody Jesus loves them. <laughs> we have to make sure our heart stays in check. Yes, we're disgusted by the sin in our world. Don't get me wrong. Yes, I disagree with abortion. Yes, I disagree with all sin. And none of us are perfect and we've dealt with it or are still dealing with some sin in our lives. So I think before we condemn, and we shouldn't even do that, but before we treat somebody in a way they shouldn't be treated, maybe we should take an evaluation of our own life. Because when I share Jesus with somebody, and if I try to tell somebody, look man, you probably shouldn't be doing this. Are we doing the same thing that we're telling somebody else they shouldn't be doing? And I think we can say some of us have probably been guilty of that. Because we know it's wrong, but it's easy for us to tell somebody else it is, but not check ourselves. Because let me tell you this, when you start going out to be a disciple, and you start sharing Jesus with people, and you start witnessing to people, let me tell you what, from that moment on, people are watching you. Now, some of you people are watching you because you haven't even exposed yourself or gotten yourself out there that you even know who Jesus is. But let me tell you this. When you start sharing Jesus, people are watching you. They want to know how you're going to respond. They want to know how you're going to act. They want to know what you're going to say because we need to make sure how we're talking, we're actually walking that at the same time. And I said it and I'll say it again. I'm not preaching this because I've been always perfect at this. I haven't always been perfect at this. But you know what? I'm not going to use that as a crutch to remain where I am. Or where I was. That whole mentality of, well, Pastor John, I don't even know the point of discipling because I'm not perfect. Number one, you're never going to be perfect. But you know what? That makes it a lot more powerful, too, when you go out and witness somebody and tell them your testimony of God's grace and His mercy and His forgiveness and His love and how much you received it and it changed your life and how you want to see their life be changed by it. There's power in testimony. And the only way you can have a testimony, right? The old simple way is if you've been through a test. You can't spell testimony without testing there. We've all been through some tests. We all have a testimony. We all might have different ones. But you know what? doesn't matter how big or small or bad or roughed up you think your testimony is. Everybody was on their way to hell. Everybody has a testimony. And we're all here saved and forgiven because of the glory of God and what he did by sending his son to die for us. Hallelujah. And our job is to go out and share that with other people. 